Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 59 of We're Talking Shift, the podcast where I talk a lot of shift because I believe that when we feel stuck, when it's time to level up or rise to a challenge, we have to make a shift, starting with our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I am very, very excited to introduce my guest today because he's going to talk with us about unique ways of looking at and understanding something that we all have in common and love, music. Bill Protzman is a man on a serious mission to raise awareness of the power of music as self-care. He is a successful IT entrepreneur who holds magna cum laude degrees in piano performance and creative writing, and he brings music to audiences in non-traditional ways. In 2011, he launched Music Care, Inc., a for-purpose corporation that teaches practical ways music can be used for self-care. His work was recognized by the National Council for Behavioral Health with an award of excellence in 2014. Now, that's a big deal, you guys. That award is the behavioral health equivalent of winning an Oscar. Insert round of applause here. Yay! His volunteer work has included board positions with Guitars for Vets and the San Diego Veterans Coalition. He has been instrumental in connecting thousands of military service members and veterans with honor tickets to the largest healing music organization in his town, the San Diego Symphony. The American Music Therapy Association, along with many other organizations, are blown away by his keynote presentations. He has tons of articles online at Psychology Today, Fox News, Your Tango, The Good Men Project, and several others. He's here today to inspire and enlighten us about the power of music as a tool for self-care. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Welcome to We're Talking Shift, Bill. I am so glad to have you here today. I'm just laughing because I love the name of your podcast so much. Yeah, we're talking shift. You like that? You ready to talk shift? Oh, yeah, you bet. You bet. Bring it. Yeah. Awesome. It is kind of fun. We, we get to, we get to have a lot of fun with that. And, um, but you know, it catches your attention. It gets to the point, right? It does. It does. Bill, I am, I am seriously fascinated by what you're doing with music because, um, even though I'm not a musician, I, I don't sing. Well, I do, but that's between me and God. And, um, and I've never played a musical instrument, um, but I've always recognized the, the power of music to affect our state, like I'm sure a lot of people. And so it makes sense that there's this huge power in music that hasn't really been exploited for our benefit when it comes to self-care and our health. And and that's just one of the things that I think is so cool about of the many things that you're doing, but it's pretty much, you know, based in your belief in the power of music for self-care and healing, right? Very true. Yes. And and that's sort of like the overarching principle that that keeps me alive. I mean, really, it, it's mm-hmm. when when you when you recognize something like that, it's like seeing God for the first time or whatever it is. When when that comes home to you, 
it just becomes a part of who you are. And, it, and music certainly is a part of that for me. Yeah. You, um, you started playing piano. I read, um, when you were three, I believe, and you grew up playing and performing and it, uh, it said that you realized very early on that the discipline of playing the piano was also a behavioral healthcare practice. So I think that's a pretty, pretty amazing recognition. And I'm wondering how old were you when you had that brilliant awareness? And then, and what made you start to, what made you think of that and really start to realize that? Well, when, when you're a, a little kid playing the piano, one of the things that is really important for little kids at like piano parties and all that is that people show them appreciation. And I've been to so many events for my kids where I've been there to support them and show them that appreciation. And when you're making music, um, that's there, but something else is there too, because sometimes people in the audience react emotionally. One little piano party we had, our piano teacher was moving away to some other state. And after I played, I was the last one on the program. I stood at the piano and bowed like we're taught to do. And I looked over at her, as, of course, as little kids do, make sure that everything was fine, that they did an okay job. And she was smiling and clapping, but something else was happening. There were big tears rolling down her face. Mm. And that stuck with me. It's like, how can human beings be happy and sad at the same time? Mm-hmm. So those little sort of moments that's, that get into you give you an awareness that something bigger is happening than just making music. Yes. And as a teenager, you know, I found... I, I was pretty depressed as a teenager and for a lot of my life, but I found that at the piano, when I was making music and finding the big emotions to perform into it, that it was okay, that I was safe there, that it felt good actually to be able to make this incredibly powerful music. But I didn't translate into how I could have those big emotions safely, like in real life. So I, I became aware that something was happening to me at the piano. What that was and what was actually going on, we're just getting to the place in, in the research community where I think they can explain with absolute credible evidence that the music that is going on is having this, this, this effect, this behavioral health care, it's actually physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, the whole thing, it's all there in the music. And they're just scratching the surface of that now. But it's so amazing to know that I was safe at the piano with my big emotions as a teenager. Wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just, I mean, it's so anybody that, and, and most of us, I mean, human beings since, you know, as far back as we know, there've been human beings, there've been some f way, shape or form in all cultures of some kind of music. Right. So we know that it's a, it's a powerful thing that connects all of us that we all gravitate toward. There's an effect that, that comes from music that's beyond just enjoying the sound. There's something else there. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I love reading and just learning about energy. And, and I think that, you know, we're, we're energetic beings, which means we're vibrational beings and music is vibrational. It's a, it's a vibration. And I'm, I'm wondering if, I mean, I'm wondering a lot of things, but my question for you around this is, do you think that we gravitate toward music that's a vibrational match to whatever sort of energetic or vibrational state that we're in at any given time? Does that make sense, my question? It, you know, it does. And I, I like to qualify that with a yes and. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so 
one of the things that, that we've learned to do, which is sadly not such a great thing, is we've learned to uh, sort of minimize emotions we don't like to feel. Yeah. And that's that may or may not be a really great thing. I think if you went to psychology, they'd say it's a really bad thing to stuff your big emotions because eventually they're going to leak out and they may cause you some sort of psychological damage. But then you go to the, the positive psychology people and they say, oh, no, it's all about being you know happy and joyous and whatever. And, and they don't have a real answer for what happens with those big emotions. Mm-hmm. So if, if leaving the judgment out of it for a second. So to get to your yes, if you hear something that makes you feel a way that you like to feel, oh, my gosh, that resonates that, you know, we like that. Yeah. But if you hear something and it makes you feel a way that you don't want to feel, um, that's, that's where the issue comes up. And, and that's where I'm saying qualified, yes. It's my contention that we ought to feel those things when we hear them. So if music makes us frightened or music makes us um, angry, and we don't like fear and anger, uh, I still feel that we need to experience those emotions and that music can let us do that safely, even though we'd rather not. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I get that. So really if, but I, I'm wondering like, would you have to have the discernment to, to know if you are listening to something that is evoking those feelings that maybe you should be expressing and you're repressing them, but the music, there's certain music that you don't like because it's bringing those up. And so maybe that would be like a very therapeutic use of it so that to help you express it. Right. But then what, okay. Which makes total sense. What about, like, I wonder about the flip side, which would be if music has the power to put you in state and, and hold you in state. Um, that's, that's great if it's positive, but what if, let's say, let's say you are in a state of depression yes, and deep sadness and despair and you're, I mean, you're, you're already feeling it because you're there. So would you then want to listen to music that promotes those feelings and keeps you in that state? Or are you actually then sort of, you know what I mean? Doing yourself a disservice. Would you then want to listen to something that would maybe be more uplifting to, to bring your vibration up and help you maybe find a less, you know, sad state? Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to be something more like what you'd want versus what you don't want. Nobody wants to feel chronically depressed. And, you know, as a kid, I was, in fact, for most of my adult life, I was, Mm. still am in some ways. So um, let's take that straight on. The the trouble that I had, and I'll speak from my own experience. I think if anybody's listening, you can sort of play this in your own uh, experience and see how it works for you. But the trouble that I had was that it, in my house growing up, we weren't allowed to be too expressive. We weren't allowed to be um, too sad or too happy. There was this narrow range of emotion that was that was there and and you know i had a midwestern father and stiff upper lip and all that and men are kind of taught to to put our big emotions aside and not let them influence us too much right so i i learned pretty early on that when i was not at the piano i had to stuff my emotions okay that's great 
but over time you stuff them and stuff them and stuff them and then they begin to leak out. Mm-hmm. And in my case, my depression started to leak out as anger and that wasn't good. So when I finally got around to therapy in my 30s, I began to understand what was going on and how I'd collected this giant sort of unused reservoir of, um, of depression. Hmm. And, I'm, and here I'm a musician. My job is to let it out, right? I, I have to go to deep emotions. So letting it out at the piano was fine, but I had so much in there that I didn't have a way of really like unpacking it. Yeah. Unpacking. And it was becoming more and more difficult to drag this giant tank of unused emotions around behind me. It was weighing me down. Yeah. So um, when I began to focus my um, intention on how to let that depression and anger go, I found that I could very safely soundtrack it. I could put it to music. And as I put it to music, it would relieve me of some of that depression and some of that anger. And it would leave me in a place where I could choose what to feel next. So instead of intervening on top of it, oh, I'm angry, I better play some peaceful music. I would say, oh my gosh, I am angry. Let me just sit down here for a minute and put on some music that, that lets me feel good and angry without having a requirement to go act out on it or, you know, do something. And you know, the amazing thing. So this is the crazy thing, Laurie, allowing that anger or allowing that depression moved it. It it moved it through and it left me with all kinds of great energy at the end. So, it almost acted like a container for you to put it in. Yeah, yeah, and and so send it away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then it. right, take it, haul it away. <laughs> right, right. So it brought you kind of back to new, like almost neutral. So you were in a place to be able to feel something better. Exactly right, and, and neutral is cool. I mean, I love that place mm-hmm. because when you're in neutral you're not just flat, you're energized and you're ready to move in any direction and, you know, emotionally yeah. nimble. Yeah. And that's really great. And, and so get this, I, I love what you said about resonators. You know, as a human being, we all, all of us, we all resonate for sound and rhythm. And if we did that without judgment and just allowed whatever, and then I'll, tried to investigate the, whatever the emotion to see if it had some content or meaning or purpose for us, I think we'd be a lot further along than, than we are, generally speaking. Hmm. Um, looking around, there's all this anger on social media, and I, and I wonder how much of that is just bottled up stuff or an actual existential threat to people who think that their way of life is being challenged or you know, whatever. What's the emotional content really there to do? It, it's... it's sort of demanding to be released, right? Yeah, yeah. And and like, you know, to use your example of social media, it's, um, you know, that's a a place where people can unpack their discomfort that may not have anything to do even with what they're talking about. It may just Hmm. be, uh, it it may just be an outlet that, you know, and they're projecting some other, you know, I mean, politics is such a that's a great example because it's just so easy and everybody can relate to it so if you've got you know what and i saw this and i I, this is a great example because i saw this happen with my uh, with my mom who became before she died she was um 
she was getting sick with cancer, although we really, really didn't know it at the time, but she had a lot of frustrations that had been building up, I think, over the course of probably her entire life, but was really building and building and building. And all of a sudden she got to this point where when I would call her, she would have like this venting session about you know, the politics and, uh, you know, yeah. everything that goes along with that, which was very unlike her and very unusual and very out of character for her. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that is odd. But what I came to realize later was that it really wasn't that, that was just, it was her other discomfort and frustrations and resentments and built up stuff over probably the course of her whole life that she had repressed and it was being projected in that direction, something that she could safely vent about and, you know, and just rail about and have a session that relieved some energy, but it didn't really, but she wasn't relieving the stuff that was, you know, really percolating inside of her. Right. Uh, it was just, it, it was, uh, she was projecting on that. And I think that, you know, that's what happens with um, social media. A lot of times people are having all of, you know, issues in their own lives, but it comes out directed at other things because then they don't really have to deal with the stuff that's, that needs to be dealt with. It's just, there's a different target. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And, and, which of course is why I'm a big advocate for music, because if you put on headphones and sit there and listen, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to impact anyone else. Right. You know, for, for at least a little while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm there's, just, there's magic ahead. in that, in that mm-hmm. listening too, because, you know, songs are not one way or the other. They're not happy or sad. Songs have all these emotions built in that cover the whole spectrum. Yeah. And while you might feel predominantly sad about a song that's, say, about unrequited love or something, um, there's also other feelings that are allowable in that space because that's how we are. We don't feel just one thing. We feel a spectrum of things regularly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's we don't even have to work on that. <laughs> I mean, that's just who right. we are. We allow those feelings. It's, it's non-binary. It's this rainbow of available emotion that is packed into sound and rhythm and, and allowing that sound and rhythm, you're going to feel it all or some portion of it or whatever you need. I mean, the information is there to give you a way forward. Mm-hmm. It's a good way of saying it. I mean, when I'm stuck, music will always give me a way forward. And oftentimes that comes from processing emotions that have been suppressed, or it can come from just an idea that I don't aware. you know, it's like all of a sudden, so music is not just a Band-Aid. Yeah. It, it allows this wonderful wash of emotion, but part of that opens you up to things like inspiration and creativity and new ideas. And mm-hmm. uh, there, mm-hmm. all of this is just part of the process. It's like multidimensional in so many ways. Yes. No, you're right. And I, I mean, probably everybody has experienced that to some degree on some level. I can relate to that, too. I mean, there are lots of times where something something comes on, like you said, and I I know there's there's certain things that are going to evoke a certain emotion from me. And sometimes it's just 
sometimes it's just like the feeling that wells up and sometimes it's directly connected to like, you know, a, a, like a past memory where you have that association sure. with, with that, you know, a particular incident with that particular music. Um, and sometimes it's, it's energy. Um, it's a, it's a really fun experiment really to sit down and listen to different music and then notice what it brings up in you. It's fascinating because it's so have powerful. Have you tried doing that like with, with someone else? Have you done that together with someone? Well, like n- not in the way that it was by design, but like, you know, for example, I mean, my if my husband and I are going to s- sit around, you know, sit outside, um, have a glass of wine or something and turn on a particular playlist. You know, we know that that particular music and that playlist is going to put us in a certain state and, and yeah. you know, a certain vibe. Um, so it's happened just, you know, it happens by uh, just not really not on purpose, but it happens. But it so happens, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't ever, like, you know, like to, to what you just said, decided to intentionally make it happen with with a plan in mind. The the um, the experience is wonderful, and you don't need a plan. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need a strategy. I, well, it's true. I mean, music is one of those amazing sort of external things. So as a creator, um, I'll I'll, I'll bring this home in a second, but as a creator, one of my jobs uh, is to make new stuff, right? I'm not just a problem solver. I solve problems too. But Mm -hmm. if I need a solution and it doesn't yet exist, um, I'm going to have to create that solution. So to do that, there's two that you have to create tension to, to find that solution. And the creative tension comes from taking a close look at where everything is like being very honest about where things are and then being very honest about what you want. And, the tension between those two things opens the way to creation. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you're not looking at things honestly can make everything go wrong. So it's the difficult part there is being able to assess things very honestly. So if, if you and another person need to create a solution together or advance something together, whatever, one of the neatest ways to do that is to pick a piece of music that you've never heard before Hopefully the other person hasn't either. And then have an honest conversation about what's in that music for each of you. And oftentimes you might find that your perspective on the music is sad and the other person's perspective on the music is angry or whatever. There might be contrast of some kind. Yeah. Yes. And both of you are right. And that's the cool thing. So by both of you being right, you've established an honest assessment of this thing, this music that is that's accurate for both of you and it's not because you know one of you happens to be red and one happens to be blue or whatever it's just that both of you hear it differently and experience the feelings differently and oh my gosh when you can relate to somebody else's emotion without judgment say oh my gosh bill you felt sad by that piece but it made me feel angry wow is that an incredible starting point for whatever comes next so yeah. in your in your creative process, you've set up this conflict, which is intentional between sadness in my case, and let's say anger in yours, that can promote the creation of a solution we never knew existed before. That makes sense. That makes Isn't sense. That wild. Yeah. And, and that's a practice that if you get, you know, good at it with your team, you can apply to other things too. 
because the exercise of doing that with music is the same exercise as if you're trying to invent a new way of, I don't know, going to Mars or, you know, Mm -hmm. figuring out what's for dinner tonight. I mean, there's so many incredible opportunities packed into that little object lesson that you can learn uh, and practice with music. Yeah, I get that. I can see that. That's what a fun experiment though, to, to, yes, to do with intention and, uh, and get the different responses, uh, and emotions that are evoked from different people listening to the same music. That's a very, very cool experiment. Not judgmental too, because yeah, you know, while it might be more difficult for me to say, you know, that music that everybody else thinks is happy really made me angry. It's still an it's still an honest, authentic mm-hmm. um, experience of the emotion and the music. And what do we all talk about? We want to be, you know, have integrity and honesty and compassion and empathy and whatever. And and here we are with this incredible tool that opens up authenticity mm-hmm. and even empathy. Gosh, Bill, you're feeling scared. That is so amazing. Right, and it, right. So it it opens up. Um it opens up opportunity for a more honest communication in which people would feel, uh, I guess, more comfortable and safe expressing because it's been, you know, that was the whole idea. Right. Right. And, mm. and it, you can, you can sneak up on it. I, we haven't done this with the kids, but I've done this with um, homeless people, for example, that I teach music classes to. And it's awesome to unpack emotion that way and mm. to find the common um, human thread in it. Right. Yes. I mean, music of all things would be probably one of the most powerful ways to do that. When you think of it's, it. It's, yeah, it's almost scary how powerful it is because it's working on so much of us, you know, from, from the emotional side, obviously, to the mental side, because, oh my gosh, you mean that little conversation can open up creation? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. It's great memory. I mean, we go on and on about this. Right, right, right. Well, tell us, you know, talking about um, um, some like homeless people and such, um, you uh, tell us about seeking non-traditional audiences. So I know you've had audiences of, um, like you said, homeless people that you teach, um, Alzheimer's patients, people struggling with um, physical or emotional injuries, you know, stressed out people. Uh, it runs the gamut. So tell us about you know, the power of music uh, as it relates to those audiences and how that is used as a tool. How do you use that with a tool as a tool with them? Yes. So the the idea of finding audiences that are non-traditional often means that I've been attempting in life to put a grand piano in places where there wouldn't normally be one, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then show up in a tuxedo and actually play it. And um, that's been a great opportunity because people who are coming to see one of those sort of performance-based um, presentations mm-hmm. will, will encounter a person who happens to also be a piano player and take the time to explain how the music as a performer works on him and what it's like to actually present that music as the, the vehicle for doing it. And, and that's a fascinating thing because people can sort of step into my shoes and see what it's like to sit on the bench and, and offer this music and the mechanics of doing that and the emotional response of doing that and just all the other parts. So that's been a, a learning experience mm-hmm. and it, it's evolved for me. So if in a more of a workshop setting or um, a one-on-one kind of setting, 
working with the homeless music class or with veterans in recovery, we often find that it's not necessary to have the piano. You can get there with a flat screen and a playlist and then begin to investigate our experience of emotion. And it's that same kind of thing that you do one-on-one where you play a song and then figure out how you both feel about it. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes I've found that people really haven't given much thought or sort of inward focus on what they're really feeling when they hear music. So starting at the beginning and saying, hey, let's take a song you love and let's investigate what it says to you emotionally. That can be new too. And that's a whole different kind of a presentation because, um, well, one of the things I got to do not long ago was start a presentation by playing the Star Spangled Banner. I had a piano on the stage. And wow, is that not an emotionally charged piece of music these days? Yeah, (laughs) yes. full of emotion. And everybody that experiences it has a slightly different flavor of emotion for it. And every one of those flavors is right. Right. So Mm -hmm. coming to that and saying 100 people in the room are going to experience this song 100 different ways. Let's see where those ways lead and how those feelings um, change our experience of this song. And then, of course, how that all connects us. Because, of course, when you play the Star Spangled Banner, everybody stands up right away. Mm -hmm. Why is that? (laughs) You know, we learned to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's physical response to that song, too. And it's, it's amazing to go into, a, a, you know, a, do a keynote like that mm-hmm. and have people kind of wondering what you're doing. And then when you ask them, oh, my gosh, how do you feel right now? What, what's coming up for you? Well, that sort of turns everything around in a way that, you know, if you went to the symphony and they played the Star Spangled Banner, it wouldn't because the next thing would happen and the symphony played the next song. And here I am stopping to, to actually talk to people about what's happened. What's the emotional content for you? What, right. what does it make you feel? What does it make you want to do or think? Yeah. That's, that's incredible. It is incredible. I know the Star Spangled Banner, when I hear that song, um, if I'm singing along, I can never even get past about 12 words. And then for some reason, and I can't even explain it, I get choked up and I, and I just can't even, it makes me feel emotional in a good yeah. way. But I get yeah. choked up and I, can, and I can no longer continue to even sing along, which, which I think is really interesting. And I, I can't really, I suppose if I sat and thought about it long enough and deeply enough, I, I would probably come up with some, you know, authentic reasons. But it's just an interesting thing that happens with certain music. Same thing with Amazing Grace. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And having to perform that. So those songs affect me in a very similar way. And yet I have to keep going. I have to somehow make it to the end. Yeah. How do you do that? So, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's a whole process in itself, too, because, you know, as the one person making the sound in the room, <laughs> right. you, can't, you can't just stop. <laughs> right. I, and I've had that experience, too, where I'm in the middle of some piece and I forget what the next thing is. And then I've got to figure it out and start again. But, um, yeah, so those those deep emotions that are part of who we all are, are part of us in different ways. Um, I got to play uh, one time when I was in England, I was, we were, I was traveling with a group of kids from my college and there was a piano in the house we were staying in house the, it's, they call university dormitories over their houses. You probably mm-hmm. remember from, uh, from Harry Potter. So there was a piano I was playing and I, I was playing sort of mood music. It was slow and, and soft and stuff like that. And I found myself playing patriotic music 
which of course had an interesting effect on the Americans in the room. And then one of the pieces that I love, uh, it's also patriotic, very patriotic, is God Save the Queen. And we know it as um, our country to the thee. Mm-hmm. But I played God Save the Queen and then followed that up with, I don't know, Amazing Grace and Danny Boy and some other songs. I think we were in Scotland. So it was, it was appropriate that those songs mm-hmm. were there. And what I observed in the room was that there was a deeper emotional response around the authentically um, UK tunes mm-hmm. than there was around the American patriotic music, which was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the year, I think, that the voters were deciding between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. And so we were very much in the, in the not patriotic, but, but nationalistic kind of thought. We mm-hmm. were all struggling with who to, how to vote. So it was an interesting time to watch the music have an effect uh, that surprised me, actually. Sure. I, su- I was surprised by my own emotional response to the music. So fascinating. And, uh, isn't that cool? And, and we don't often, as a, as a culture in America, you stop and listen sort of communally to what music does for us. Um, fortunately, at sports ball games, we can hear the Star Spangled Banner frequently. But um, other than maybe in church, how often do we hear music in a communal setting that is meant to move us deeply in some way? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. You know, I remember um, the very first time I ever went to a concert, and I think I was, um, I think I was like 18 the first time I went to a concert. <clears throat> and I remember it, it was it was a Bob Seger concert. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. And uh, and and I remember I had never experienced anything like that. Obviously, it, it, it was huge. And uh, and I remember f- like feeling literally physically sensations that I had never felt before because of all of the music and the energy of all of these people all in this one gigantic, massive, you know, auditorium. Yeah. And and I remember looking around, even at that age of 18, going, all of these people are all like in the same state right now. And the person on stage could literally influence the crowd because of the state that they're in due to their love of this of the music that that person is putting out they're all that's i just remember thinking wow that person has a lot of power and influence up there because they are literally manipulating this the the state of everybody in the audience i mean not in a you know in a negative way i mean they just had there was power there no you said it it's absolutely true the 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 concert is set up to manipulate us through a very satisfying emotional journey yeah yeah, and it was it was fascinating, but then that was the first time that I um, started to become so aware of the power of of music and how you know how it affects you and what you're thinking and feeling or what you're feeling and then thinking you know whichever. But, yeah, they're they're very connected. So yeah. what I teach is how you can give yourself that same experience of that that amazing concert experience. It's available to everyone, and you can give it to yourself with uh, what I call a four-song silver bullet playlist for any emotion that you need. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I have certain um, songs that 
I use for meditation. So if I'm not able to just quiet my mind and, and, you know, chill and relax quietly, then I'll use the meditation music to help me be able to do that and sort of put me in that state that I'm looking for. And, and, you know, and it usually works. Sometimes I don't that's need to be so perfect. Yeah. No, that's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have those kinds of playlists and, and they're short on purpose Mm -hmm. Uh, so that I can become uh, emotionally prepared for whatever it is that I need, whether that's responding to a trigger, because we all have them, Mm -hmm. or uh, preparing to to move forward in some sort of growth-oriented way, like Mm -hmm. you're doing with meditation. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, you're right. I mean, why wouldn't a person make different separate playlists um, for the purpose of helping put them in the state of um, mind or state of being that they want to be in for whatever the thing is that they're going to be doing next. You want to get real deep into the weeds on this? Cause, well, why not? We're here. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> right? So human beings have superpowers, and one of them is we remember songs really well. Once a melody gets in there, um, it's yours. It, it belongs to you. It's like it becomes a part of you. Yeah. And there's no learning involved with that. It's just we do it, especially if it's songs we love. They're just in there. I bet anybody right now could come up with about 10 songs that they love and they'd know how they sound. Right. Probably more. So um, here's the science. Once you know a song at that level, you no longer need to hear it for your system to respond to it. I'll say that again. Right. Once you know a song well, you no longer need to hear it for your system to respond to it. So think of the last earworm that you had. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> no, it's too late. <laughs> but, 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 you know, right now, if you're, if you're listening to this, think of a song that you love and then let it start to play in your mind and you'll notice that the emotional content of that song is immediately available to you. Well, that's true. That's true because the the mind doesn't know, you know, what's really happening. The difference between what's happening outside of you and what's happening in your in your mind, it's going to uh, evoke the same chemical reactions and emotional responses as though it's really happening. You said it. Yep. And and your mind is a little late. Um, the emotions start actually a hundred times earlier than the mind that figures them out. <laughs> it's really it's crazy uh-huh. brain science, but. When we hear things, they enter our ear, our systems begin to respond immediately because our lizard brain deals with sound. So our system is all ready for fight, flight, freeze, or mate, um, mm-hmm. or feed, um, way before we recognize that we heard a sound that might have been either dangerous or pleasant. You know, the, the cerebral yeah. cortex is catching up, but, but it's a lot later. So it re- literally takes about 100 times longer for us to think about what we heard but by that time, we're already ready to go. We're already emotionally engaged. Our systems have already responded. The adrenaline's hit or what the dopamine or serotonin, whatever it is, has already started yeah. to prime us, you know, to do what we need to do. So same response, as you said so perfectly, you know, it, it isn't a matter of thinking. Right, it's, right. We feel it and it's just there. We feel we're it. ready to go. And, you know, awesome. all the great stuff, all the best practices out there, you know, for how we're supposed to get along in the world. The, the compassion and kindness and respect and honor and all that stuff. We don't have to think about those things. They're feelings. Well, gotta, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
if you can soundtrack your gratitude, for example, there's this great song that it's a, it's a choral piece that I began to hear about a year ago. It's called grateful. And it's this amazing little piece of choral music and it is my gratitude song. So when I hear grateful, grateful, the name of the song, I just get this feeling that is my gratitude feeling. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I, I can't really explain that in terms of, you know, thinking it's a feeling that I have. So if I need to come up with gratitude and I'm not feeling grateful, all I got to do is let grateful, grateful play in my head. And mm. I'm immediately feeling grateful. And as I feel that I've had a lot of practice, I almost get this emotion of, of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Not yes. the kind you get, the kind you give, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. The kind you give. Exactly. That's, just, I just, I don't know. I love this. I love this subject. So, okay, let me, um, I want to get to a couple of other things here too that, so I don't, I don't forget them. Um, I know that you do a lot of work with veterans, which I think is amazing. Tell me about that and how, how you work with veterans with your music. Oh, veterans are so amazing because they've given us a conversation about post-traumatic stress that we never would have had, mm-hmm. you know, thanks to, thanks to 9-11 and post 9-11 veterans. And they're even talking about it now in the VA research circles as post-traumatic growth. It's the recognition that, you know, trauma is sort of a necessary part of how we grow as people. Mm-hmm. When we need those experiences. And if we use them brightly and, and leverage them, we can make so much change happen in a positive way. So uh, I didn't know anything about that when I volunteered for Guitars for Vets. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there I was, piano player, helping veterans to learn to play the guitar because playing music relieves the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Hmm. And there's a study about that, and that's fascinating. And Guitars for Vets is this huge nationwide nonprofit, and they do amazing things for so many veterans. You learn to play the guitar after 10 lessons. They give you a brand-new guitar and all the fixings, you know, so you're, you've got a way of keeping yourself post-traumatic stress symptoms under control using music for the rest of your life. It's, it's amazing stuff. And of course, from where I'm coming from, I'm like, well, why not? Of course you can give yourself relief. <laughs> that's, that's what music care is all about. Mm-hmm. So um, watching veterans though change. So th- the amazing thing about people who have been in very traumatic situations is that they have a bigger response when you're offered relief than the average bear does. I mean, all of us experience trauma, but if your trauma is related to combat and you've lost limbs or you have invisible wounds, um, those things, those, the bigger they are, the better they respond, I guess is a good way of saying it. Hmm. I had a, a veteran show up one day at Veterans Village. We were, I don't know, about a year into the program. This guy came in. Um, most of the people who arrive at Veterans Village have been homeless and are uh, addicted in some way or abusing substances. So it's residential treatment and recovery. And this guy came in and wanted to be a part of the program. We handed him a practice guitar and he sat down on a wall beside the little fountain in the courtyard there and started playing. And it turns out this guy probably knows a couple thousand songs by heart. Um, Dylan Seeger, yes, Bob Seeger, um, the Beatles, the Stones, Kinks, whatever. And he just sat there and played and played and played Mm. And I, I, I didn't know what we were going to do for him because he was doing it all for himself. <laughs> he was, yeah. he was, he was unpacking years of not, of not having had a guitar to let feelings go. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. You must've had like chills. Oh, I get chills talking about it. And, um, 
I mean, it's a, it's a longer story. So I'll shorten it for our, our purposes here. But I was invited to play in the band that this guy formed. I was the only non-veteran in the band. And we played at recovery events all over San Diego and just had a great time. And then uh, he, he graduated the program and everybody moved along. And I lost track of him. He, he uh, fell off the wagon. And from what I heard from other people in the homeless community, they'd seen him once or twice. He was playing on the beach, you know, just sort of trying to hold it together and support his habit. Mm. And um, then he pretty much disappeared for about a year. And none of us had, knew what had happened to him. Of course, when you play in a band, you get close, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you, you know one another in a way that's beyond just casual acquaintances or even business acquaintances that you work with all the time. Sure, it's got to be like family. It's family. You're making music. You're opening to emotional and all of the, you know, the interplay that goes on between the band members is nonverbal. And it's it's related to music intimately. It's, you, you get to know people in that way. And, and um, so I really missed this guy and I really feared that, he, that he, we'd lost him. Mm-hmm. And um, it was on my birthday, which I actually share with this guy, that I was at Veterans Village and um, happened to be just there for some other reason, walking down the pathway, coming toward me is this guy. Oh. The guy did my band leader, right? And I just, we just ran and gave each other this giant bear hug and uh, wished oh. each other happy birthday, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <gasps> and um, it, something had brought him back. I don't know. Whatever it was um, had brought him back. And I've been able to play on a few uh, different occasions with him and a couple other guys from the band, too. And uh, it just feels like such a homecoming and such a positive thing mm. to be a part of each other's um, process in life, you know, which for some is more traumatic than others. But for all of us, it's, it's a shared experience. Mm-hmm. We kind of need, I, I think, more than we know right now, Laurie. It's, it's, if we could just uh, find that musical connection, I, I think we'd be at a better place in this world. So that, that's just one veteran, and there have been so many sure. that, are, you know, that experience that. Wow, that's just beautiful. It really, I'm so glad that there was a, a, a I was hoping there was going to be an ending to that story where you, you, he showed up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was hoping too. And, you know, there it was. <laughs> yeah. It was. Oh, that's, that's awesome. You, you stated that um, music is a way that you can feel yourself safely. And I just, I really like that statement. Um, I don't know why I just, uh, I've never heard it put that way. And I guess you've mm-hmm. probably already kind of covered some of that in what we've already been talking about. But I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about that. I just think it's really an interesting statement that uh, it's just a way that you can feel yourself safely. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. I, I believe all of us are so full of ability to experience emotion and that our culture for whatever reason, doesn't really allow that as much as we could. We like to go to concerts, right? Because it's safe there. But sitting here in the chair with the headphones on, I can put on music and experience it without any requirement to, to, to do anything with it. So that music can frighten me. And we like to go to scary movies, and the, mu- the music is part of that. Or that music can make me angry. And there have been a lot of great things that have come from anger. Uh, once the edge is off, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a sort of a, a a mantra, or I don't maybe mantra is the wrong word, but uh, in martial arts you never attack in anger. Now that doesn't say you never be angry, 
But to use the energy of anger to attack is a mistake. Um, right. One, ha- one has to feel the anger and then allow the positive energy of anger to create movement rather than just going crazy with any kind of random energy that's in anger. Because anger and fear are pretty, they're, they're, they're boisterous, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not about controlling them. It's about allowing them. So, so as we how, talked about early, you know, you yeah. allow it and you've got the energy available without the, the random, you know, energy that could scatter you to focus in and bring that anger to a successful conclusion somehow. Yeah. So that, that kind of is part of, uh, I think you actually just kind of answered my next question. Um, it was something that I, I read that you had said that there's a positive energy available in that, in that fear and that distress and that anger. And, um, you know, that, that energy, you know, how could we use that for good? How could we leverage that energy that's behind those, those, types of emotions that would be considered negative emotions, like, you know, fear and anger and sadness. How do we use that and leverage it, um, you know, for fuel and, and so that we can use it to accomplish something, something good or positive? Well, it starts with allowing the energy, um, the, to remove judgment from emotions is difficult at first because there are definitely emotions that we like more than others. And, and that's fine. But there's also, um, there's also power in those big emotions that if you take the judgment away from them and with that taking away the requirement to do anything with the energy and just experience it, I mean, you have to start slow. This is, this is big stuff. So keeping yourself in a place where you can experience anger safely until you understand what it feels like to feel that much anger or feel that much sadness, that's a new concept. Uh, I didn't know what it felt like to be that sad until I felt like there was a time in my life where I needed to end it all and allowing myself to be with sad music. That's always been there for me. One piece of music did it. And just to be with that for hours, it took hours to let that sadness flow. Um, it opened the way it created that creative tension. As a matter of fact, that I needed to solve a problem. It was a big problem I needed to solve. And, and, I didn't actually set out to solve a problem or do anything new. I set out to say, I'm here. I'm really sad. I'm going to listen to some music that allows me to, to let this sadness move without any expectation of what comes next and just be with that music. That, that was the thing that opened it up. And that works for anger or fear or even happiness. You can be, you know, incredibly happy with happy music. Imagine how happy you could be, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Letting that play. That's interesting. I'm, I, that's like something that I need to really think about. <laughs> like for my, yeah. I mean, for my, for myself, because I am always like, you know, like for instance, feeling sad. I, it's just something that I'm like, I, I don't do sad. I don't, and I don't, and I don't, I don't want to do sad. So I do things that pull me out of that. You know what I mean? Is like sure. quickly as I can. Um, 
and and for me, usually it's something physical. If I do something physical, like if I go and and run or ride a bike or work out and do and there's a there's that energetic that physical energetic expression usually brings me back to neutral. Um, but the you know which is which to me is great. That works really well. But I'm just I'm willing to consider that maybe there are times when allowing that sadness to just be there and feel that for a while, maybe that's not such a bad thing. That's what my own, you know, that's my, for myself, that's what I need to contemplate or think about. Well, it makes sense. And, mm-hmm. and the, the language, I mean, we live in a binary world, let's face it. So our language is very either or and night or dark or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. light or dark. Um, and, and that's okay, but it's just programming. Um, if mm-hmm. we as human beings have this amazing capability to feel things and the, uh, there's a big four, I mean, people have talked about eight, four or six, whatever, but sadness, joy, anger, and fear, we'll just stick with four. If that's our emotional range and we, for some reason, decide that we don't want to feel half of it, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from half of our power. Half of our superpowers are no longer available just by choice, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. uh, I, I know that there are people in the world who are capable of doing amazing things with sadness because you hear their music. Right. And, and th- that is one of the, uh, I guess, in the creative world, that is one of the hallmarks of a creative person is they are somehow able to pull all of their emotional content into something that the rest of us can see. Whether they're a musician on stage or an artist or a sculptor or a writer Right. They they have that sort of built-in responsibility to be faithful to the emotions that come up and to offer us brand new content that's never been seen, heard, or felt before based yeah. on those emotions. So um, mm-hmm. that's a huge invitation, and artists basically do that. Creators basically do that for no other reason than we have to. If anyone resonates for that, well, that's an amazing thing. And you wind up with, you know, people flocking to see the Beatles or Ariana Grande or Bob Seger, whoever it happens to be. Yeah. For the emotional content that's there, there's something about that experience that people need. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the human connection there. Um, yeah. That everyone has experienced those emotions or people that are experiencing the same emotions that are, you know, being expressed in the music. Sure. Oh. And, and it doesn't always take music because, I mean, here in California now, we have all these wildfires and um, sometimes it's fear that unites us. Mm-hmm. And, and people do amazing things like all those the folks with Airbnbs are opening up their Airbnbs for anyone who needs a place to stay while they're evacuated. Yeah. That, you know, that's an amazing response to fear. Um, there's also a response to sadness. Um, I don't remember when Kennedy was shot, but I know the music that was used then. And that music has appeared in so many ways uh, worldwide, wherever there's been a need for people to experience communal grief. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a beautiful thing to mm-hmm. grieve together in some ways. Um, I remember yeah. when 9-11 happened, and I don't remember any music around that. But I do re- remember things like the earthquake in Haiti and how music was their resilience. They, they had, people in Haiti had nothing except music, and they danced in the streets. Mm. And, and in New Orleans, after Katrina the second line parades that happened, people were also dancing in the streets. It was music that came to mind us 
Mm-hmm. And then I remember um, just recently, so when Notre Dame was burning, mm-hmm. remember those amazing videos of Parisians standing in the streets and singing? Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's you almost know, like it uh, bring. besides the connection, it brings um, it brings uh, a measure of strength so that yeah. it helps keep maybe it helps helps to keep you at times in certain circumstances from maybe crumbling at the knees, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and you're there, you know, with other people. Right. Who are also experiencing something that they didn't want, but they're sharing the experience in a way that is meaningful. Yeah, yeah. I know you have a going rogue story for me. Ah. <laughs> I'm not going to let I'm not going to let you go without sharing it. Oh gosh. I am. Are you are you are you willing? Yes. Uh, yes, of course. Okay. So, I'm a rebel. I mean, let's face it, people. Uh, <laughs> most creatives are in some way but I'm also the kind of rebel that has to, you know, that realizes that I've got to keep a roof over my head and food on the table and stuff like that. And there are times where that's just not easy to do. And um, this particular story has nothing to do with music, but it has everything to do with realizing uh, your authentic self. In my case, my authentic self. Uh, I've always worked for startups and I had a very well-meaning mentor encourage me one time when I was still early in my career to work for IBM. IBM is the place, you know, that's, you, you go, you work there for your entire career and they take care of you. Although I learned recently or shortly after that, I, I learned that IBM actually stands for I've been moved. It's like being in the military. You've got to be willing to go anywhere they want you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that, that ethos was fine. I mean, I grew up in a family that you know, was ready to jump to it for whatever purpose was required. Lots of military members in my family. So I, I had the idea and um, I made, made this, I, I pursued it. You know, it was one of those things. You decide you're going to do it and you figure out how to make it happen and you, you chase it until you actually get the job. And I did. I, I managed to get the job working at IBM as a marketing representative trainee, which was just like the, the top of the list. As far as I was concerned, I thought I'd made it. And then I got there and started to go to IBM marketing school and had the blue suit and the rep tie and everything else. And about six or nine months in, oh my gosh, I was not happy. Hmm. I didn't fit. I was effective. I had all this amazing startup knowledge and computers were brand new. Personal computer was brand new in that back in those days. And it was the holy grail at IBM, man, that the personal computer was going to be the future. Mm-hmm. except that some people in IBM didn't think so. And there was this conflict that I became aware of between the people who thought the mainframes were the thing and people who thought that PCs were the thing. And I found myself for no, like not even wanting to try in the middle of that conflict. And the craziest things started to happen. People started to leave the company. And I'm thinking to myself, why is this? this is the greatest place to work in the world. How come people are leaving here? I am just starting. I'm thinking this is going to be my life and everybody's leaving. And, um, and it got my attention in a way that was strange. And what it felt like was that, you know, I don't belong here. I just don't belong here here. I've made this entire effort to go in this great direction that I thought was the right thing to do. And I don't belong. Mm. And I was barely, you know, nine months in, when I decided that I needed to quit and I went to the guy who would 
done, you know, helped me get the job, literally an IBM, you know, account executive, it helped me get the job. And I said to him, you know, this isn't, this isn't the right place for me. I have to leave. And he looked at me funny and basically said, okay, Bill, uh, you know, if that's what you need to do, we'll make it happen. And for whatever reason, everybody thought that I was leaving this company. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Um, I was going to go rogue. I was going to go back to sort of my startup roots and, uh, and be the person that I knew I could be, be effective without having to deal with all of the huge company politics, not have mm-hmm. to wear a blue suit anymore. Just, you know, do something that was authentically me. And if you've ever been in, in one of those business situations before and you realize, no, this is, this is not where I fit. Mm-hmm. And you've had to make the choice to take yourself out of it. Oh, it's huge. It is, um, it is overwhelming. Yeah. To have to do that. And, and for no other reason, and you know, you don't fit. It wasn't a principal thing. It wasn't a protest thing. It wasn't, there was no other, there was no other, you know, reason for me to go except that I knew somewhere deep inside that I wasn't blue enough for IBM. Hmm. Yeah. So, in yeah. here, and it looks weird to other people. It's hard for other people, I imagine, to understand because you've put, a, like you said, all of this time and effort. You chased it. Somebody helped you. You finally get there. It's it's solid. There's a you know you can see a future and it, there's certainty there and you know there's um, there's safety and certainty in that. And then all of a sudden you, you go especially if you don't have a plan, you just go, no, I'm, I'm going to walk away. So it looks like to other people, it looks like you're kind of crazy. Yep. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm still living that one down <laughs> <laughs> and it's been, I don't know, that was in the eighties. So it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while, but had I not done that, you know, I wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing now. There you and go. Hind, hindsight being 2020, but also when you're in the middle of it, there's no way to have hindsight. And it brought home for me the one most important thing about this entire story is is staying present. And this is where it gets musical because there's nothing that I know of like music to keep you present. You have to be with it while it's playing in the moment. You can't be somewhere else. And if you're thinking about anything else, you're missing it. And music, especially if you're the one making it, brings you fully 100% into the moment. And that's you're a right. really useful place to spend your time. Mm-hmm. You're you're so so right about that. I had I had that experience uh, lately. Um, I decided to try some dance lessons. I never had dance lessons in my life, and I always wanted to. And so I signed up for a few lessons at a place nearby. And um, I'll tell you what when. When the music came on and we started doing those first few steps and I started to get a a little bit of flow going. And so I kind of knew a little bit about what we were doing so I could just kind of relax and and feel it. The, The power of the music was overwhelming. It was 
and and it was I was I was completely present. I couldn't think, you know, because I had to think a little bit about, you know, remembering what I was doing and listening to the music. And it just brought me so present, so into the now. I couldn't think about anything that I had to do later or tomorrow. I couldn't think about anything that I was previously doing. Nothing but what am I doing right now in this moment and and feeling because of the, you know, the obviously the power of the music combined with the dancing. It was it was so wonderful that I literally was like, I'm going to well up here. My instructor's going to look at me like, what's wrong with you, lady? <laughs> you know, it's, she's, she's falling apart. And, uh, and I kind of had to just, you know, swallow and, and smile to myself because I was like, it just felt so good. And I knew that's, you know, that's what it was. I was just completely present in the moment and it felt amazing. Like there's nothing yeah. like it. There's nothing like yeah. it. You just lose all sense of everything else for that little bit of time, and it's it's wonderful. Who doesn't want to live that way, you know? Yeah, right. I, I know. I find that our pets do that to us as well if we pay attention to them. They keep us... They keep us in the now. They bring your attention to just like... They're just right here, right now. And if you kind of tap into what they're probably, you know, as a as a pet, like your dog or your cat, just thinking it's just about, you know, what feels really good right now. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah, I get a powerful that. thing too, right? People make fun of the therapy animals and whatever, but I've seen it up, mm -hmm. up close and personal, especially with veterans. Um, I bet. It's amazing what a, what a pet can do to keep you in the game. Yes. I know that you were honored in Washington, D.C. for helping people use music to cope with their mental illness. So I have to ask, you know, how how did you feel and what were you thinking when you received that honor? That's pretty cool. Wow. Uh, that was an incredible moment. It, it, there's <laughs> they do this thing every year. So National Council of Behavioral Health um, finds uh, maybe about several hundred people, three, 400 people, I think there were that, that are nominated. And then they choose from that the 18 to 20 people that'll receive awards. And sometimes it's an organization, the whole organization is given, is recognized, and some, sometimes it's an individual. So I was recognized as an individual. And they have this event, and literally there are, I don't know, 5,000 people having dinner during the awards ceremony in this enormous convention center. Mm. And it, it's overwhelming. It is just it's overwhelming that that many people are there to show appreciation for the new creative ways of dealing with mental illness. So, um, and I think I might've been like the first, uh, first one on stage, maybe the second, I was early in the program, but, um, at the moment of, of being there, they of course have, you, you're instructed how to prepare your speech. You get 90 seconds to say something. And the only thing that I could think of um, to say during that 90 seconds, which I thought of it a long time before, of course, and then they okayed it, and then we, we rehearsed it, and everything was like to the T. I had to say thank you to my mom. Isn't that crazy? But mm -hmm. mom was my first piano teacher, so it, it made sense. Mm -hmm. And I actually got to perform. I, I got to play a piece of ragtime that night. So um, I, I played this crazy piece of ragtime and accepted the award and, and thanked my mom but she had this idea that behavioral health was something that musicians uh, had an advantage in 
we learn these practices of focus and, um, and, and listening to the sounds we make and just all the things that it takes to make music well. Mom discovered you could teach them to little kids and the little kids who learn those things would be would do so much better in school, which research now sort of sustains that. Mm-hmm. But but mom loved to teach little kids who had attention deficit issues or hyperactive issues. And she'd teach them for five minutes and then the next kid would come and sit on the bench and everybody would watch that kid go through their process. And and I realized uh, when this award came through that it was uh, that I've been practicing those same kinds of skills for as long as mom had taught me. And then because you can't stop for the rest of my life ever since. Mm. And that that's such a huge part of behavioral health is having practices that allow you to, to focus, to be in the moment, to process things. Well, that all the mm. stuff that goes along with being a human being can be taught musically. Yeah, that's interesting. What, uh, so, so what can we just a couple of ideas like that to, we've talked about a few of them and maybe we'll just recap those. Or if you have a couple other ones, just some tips for listeners, how can we, for using music very, you know, specifically or directly as a tool and a resource like that to help, to help them with their, you know, process feelings and just feel like they're okay I think the biggest one from our conversation anyway is the idea of allowing whatever the feeling is without judging it. Um, there, there may be times where you can't get to the music right away. Like somebody cuts you off in traffic and the road rage sparks up or whatever. Uh, take some time later on to put on some angry music and, and allow that anger to process. And you may discover that your initial response was only one of a variety of responses you could have had. Maybe the person didn't see you. Okay, that's fine. Or they were distracted, not so great. But maybe they were trying to like get to the hospital to visit with a friend who had been taken to the emergency room or right. you know, whatever. There's so many possibilities that we can't know. Yeah. But but allowing that anger also opens the way for compassion. And um, that practice, I think, more than anything else, of just taking time to be with an emotion that you don't like and, and putting some music to help, that's, that's really powerful. And it, it has the potential to open up so many other things. There's like also, um, th- there's so many ways you can go with this, of course, but um, if you know anything about EMDR and you're listening or you don't and you want to, eye movement desensitization, desensitization can never say that right, and reprocessing EMDR Institute, I think online, mm-hmm. you can learn about the power of what they call bilateral stimulation and how that can release uh, the sort of negative energy from memory. Mm. This is great for post-traumatic stress. But musicians and anybody who plays the hand drums, or even if you're just tapping on your shoulders, you can do this. But musicians whose job is big emotion are doing EMDR all the time. Hmm. And it's fascinating to me that that little component of me playing piano growing up has now got science behind it and um, explanations for what you can do with it and, you know, results from people mm-hmm. who are in terrible trauma that are able to recover from that well. And so that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many of these little practices that musicians learn mm-hmm. that now have science that, that shows how beneficial they are for many, many reasons. Sure. So there's a couple. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You were doing it and you didn't even realize what you were doing when, when you were I little. Did. Wow. Yeah. And, and yet it helped. It was there. It was helping mind me. 
Wonderful. Bill, where can people find out um, more about you and connect with you? Um, Share your website and anything else that you would like us to know about what you're up to. Sure. The the simplest way to find me is at quest.musiccare.net. And Quest is the old-fashioned quest for the Holy Grail spelling, Mm Q-U-E-S-T, musiccare with two Cs, .net. And there's free stuff there and ways to engage. Of course, once you get there, there's a picture of me and my name. You can also Google me then and find all kinds of stuff. It's it's been quite a ride, and and the internet's been very kind. I'm all over the place. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and musiccare.net of course is there, and um, there'll be show notes and things. But start with quest.musiccare.net, and that is also a portal to the online self-directed gamified, fully mentored course. Yeah, I know we have to do all of that in one breath, but wow. um, yeah, I love guiding people through this process. And so that was the only way I could do it. Um, if you want to sign into that, we can do that. If you're a veteran listening to this now or a military member or friend and family of someone who is, that course is available for free. Just contact me because it's important to give back to people who've pledged their lives to our country. And um, I'm even thinking of opening that to first responders. These, these folks mm-hmm. need it most. So, um, yeah, quest.musiccare.net, reach out. I'm, I'm there. Quest. I want to, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So quest.musiccare, I'm going to write that down just so I don't, as a reminder.net. Okay. That's wonderful. And I think it's amazing that you are offering that complimentary to, to vets. That's fantastic. I'm going to let you go after one more question, Bill. Okay. What would you like to share with our listeners about the value of going rogue? Oh my gosh, it's a great place to be. Come welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we started out with the whole with laughing about how shift happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that takes some courage. I'll be honest with you. It's not you know it isn't all happy smiley faces being rogue, being the outlier. Mm-hmm. But there are great people there. There's amazing things. In fact, there's even a group that's getting started called the Real Outliers that I learned about. So it, it's great to be on the leading edge. It's also a little dangerous. It's a little scary. A lot of the times it isn't a lot of fun. But being there and helping to open the envelope and advocate for other people to come along too and all of that, that's that's being rogue. And, and that's a wonderful thing. That is just amazing. And the world needs rogues. So um Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's do that I like it I like it it's always fun to hear what um, everyone always has a different take on you know their idea of the value of going rogue so it's always interesting to hear what my guest is going to say when they answer that and and uh, and I love what you said it was very unique Um, being out on the leading edge fun and scary and it takes courage I think that's that's pretty that's pretty appropriate I'd say Totally. Going rogue sounds like, um, yeah, I'm going to be a badass. I'm going to go rogue, you know, to do it. But there's a lot that goes into that, you know, there's a there lot. Is. It's risky. Um, it's risk taking. But that's where we get our Stephen Covey's and our, uh, yes. you know, the people who really get into this and, and offer us uh, a way forward. That's not the standard old way. Like I'm Tony Robbins. I mean, think about all the people who are out there doing amazing work right now. Yes. By going rogue. Exactly. By being willing to take the risk, have the courage, the courage to possibly fail, but you know, you're just going to go for it. Um, That's how, yeah, you're right. That's how shift happens and (laughs) innovation happens. 
I like it. I like it. Bill, you have been delightful. And I am so glad. I know that there's just a ton more that we could cover, but this is probably all anyone can absorb in an hour. We've covered, or over an hour, we've covered a lot of stuff. And I am so grateful for your time. Thank you so, so much for sharing everything you shared with us today. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you or anybody who happens to connect with me over this conversation and continue it. That would be wonderful. Let's do it again. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. Have a wonderful evening. You too, Lori. Like many other alternative forms of healing and treating various health conditions, music as self-care is an idea whose time has definitely come. I think it's on its way to being recognized as the next big thing in healing and self-care. And we can be grateful to Bill's passion or for Bill's passion, I should say, in in being a leader in this initiative and bringing it to the masses. He's doing amazing things. Remember, you can find Bill online and contact him directly by going to quest.musiccare.net. I also believe you can find him at billprotzman.com. And... um, Yeah, that's a wrap for today, you guys. So thank you for spending some of your valuable time hanging out with us. It is genuinely appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And I would just love it if you would take a quick second to leave me a rating. If you're trying to make some shift happen in your life and could use a little help, you can find out what private coaching with me is all about on lauribischoff.com. And of course, Find me on any of the social media platforms. Until next week, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen. You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.